Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're very glad you're here. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I ask you to greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you please say with me the words by which we light our chalice? In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Our call to worship this morning is by E.E. Cummings, number 504 in the back of your hymnal, if you'd like to follow along. I thank you, God, for most this amazing day. For the leaping greenly spirits of trees and a blue true dream of sky. And for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. I who have died am alive again today. And this is the sun's birthday. This is the birthday of life and of love and wings and of the gay great happening illimitably earth. How should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing, any lifted from the no of all nothing, human merely being doubt, unimaginable, you. Now the ears of my ears awake, and now the eyes of my eyes are opened. Let us say our mission statement together that you'll find in your bulletin or written on our wall. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. We continue our meditation with the Buddhist loving-kindness prayer, or metta meditation. We say this three times through. I'll say a line and you say it after me if you choose to. The first time through, this is for ourselves. May I be free from danger. May I be mentally happy. May I be physically happy. May I have ease of well-being. If you choose this for your spiritual practice, the teachers say that you should say it for yourself for at least six months before you try to say it for anyone else. Then you add someone you love. So let us now say it for someone we love. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. Now as a spiritual stretch, we'll do the very advanced metta meditation, which is you say it for someone against whom you have a resentment. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. 
May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. May it be so. This morning, Christians in this congregation and around the world are celebrating Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, when in the Christian faith story, he became not only Rabbi Jesus, which he was with his teachings, but he became the Christ, the one who saves the world. Sometimes, joining with our Christian brothers and sisters, I preach on a Christian theme at Easter, but this year... I would like to go back farther in history. I'm going to look at the story of Ishtar. The holiday was probably not named after her, even though her name sounds like Easter. It was probably named after a Germanic version of her named Eostra, goddess of the dawn and new beginnings. Her name is so similar in many cultures. Ishtar, Astarte, Ashtaroth. These were all sailing, traveling, trading cultures. And there's no reason to think that they didn't all meet one another at some point and trade their stories. There's even a moon goddess in the pre-Columbian Guatemala region named Ixchel who's the goddess of birth, and her consort is a rabbit. She also shares a similar story to the one I'm going to tell you about Ishtar this morning, where she went down into the underworld and was tormented for three days and then came back. So the faith story I'm going to talk to you about this morning comes from the ancient lands of Sumer and Babylon, the land between the Tigris and the Euphrates River, the land that is now Iraq. This 5,000-year-old story begins, and we have the poem that tells the story. The story begins as Ishtar is born. She's born from the full moon as it touches the Tigris River. So the moon, the full moon this week that was in the sky this past week is, is called Ishtar's Egg because it broke open in the river and she came out. As the poem about her descent into death and back up into life again begins, it says Ishtar bent her ear to the underworld. The word in the Sumerian language for ear and the word for wisdom is the same, so it could just mean she was trying to figure out the underworld or she was thinking about the underworld. And She was thinking about it because her sister, Erish Kegel, lived in the underworld. And Erish Kegel's consort had just died. And so they were going to have a funeral, and Ishtar wanted to attend. So getting ready, she puts on seven things. She puts on a dress, earrings, a breastplate, a necklace, a belt, or a girdle around her waist, bracelets on her wrists and ankles, and a crown. She leaves her consort, the shepherd king Dumuzi or Tammuz, and their two sons. She leaves her temples where people worship her, and she arrives at the outer gate of the underworld. And there she announces herself 
as Queen of Heaven on my way to the East. The chief gatekeeper of the underworld is skeptical and questions her. Why do you want to come into the underworld? She says, I want to come in because my sister, Ereshkigal, lives here and there's a funeral I would like to attend. The gate has opened a little crack. And the attendant asks her to take off her crown. When she asks why, he answers, quiet, Ishtar. The ways of the underworld are perfect and must not be questioned. At the second gate, her earrings are removed from her ears. And at the third gate, the necklace from her neck. And at the fourth gate, the ornaments from her breast. At the fifth gate, the girdle from her waist. At the sixth gate, the bracelets from her hands and feet. And at the seventh gate, the covering cloak of her body. Ishtar protests as every symbol of her power is taken from her, but in every instance, the answer is the same. Quiet. The ways of the underworld are perfect, and they must not be questioned. The guardian says, this is the experience of all who enter the domain of death. All their power is stripped from them. When her sister sees her, is she glad? No. It says, Erish Kegel looked upon Ishtar with the eyes of death. <laughs> I think you all have seen that look on someone's face before. The eyes of death inflict diseases on her. They judge her harshly. They insult her. They accuse her. They kill her. In her sister's room, Ishtar's corpse is hanging on a meat hook for three days. Three days. Dead. Her faithful hand servant, a warrior and an advisor, a woman who is her right-hand woman, charges two small animals with going after Ishtar. Disguised as flies, the lowest form of life. So these animals disguise themselves as flies and they go down into the underworld. You will hear the bitter queen of the underworld, the handmaiden says to them, lamenting and moaning in pain as if she were giving birth because she misses her husband, not because she just killed her sister. Moaning in pain. Moan with her. And she will favor you. And she'll want to give you a gift. Ask for Ishtar's body. Sprinkle the body with this food and water of life. And she will come alive again and return with you. They did as she asked. And Ishtar, alive again, was allowed to return to them to the land of the living. Attached to her, though... And you know this always happens when you come back from the dead. <laughs> Attached to her were two demons who demanded that she send a replacement for herself down to the underworld. Who was she going to send? Returning to her palace, she found her consort, the shepherd king, ruling in her place, not apparently having missed her very much. 
Suddenly it became clear whom she could send to the underworld. His sister, desperate to help him, offers herself in his stead. But then they each end up spending six months in the underworld, taking turns. The shepherd king and his sister. Ishtar and Tammuz are two among the many dying and rising gods in the history of human religions. Osiris, Dionysius, Krishna, many of whom were also conceived by a virgin, born in a cave, threatened with death when they were babies, and adored as having saved the world with their suffering. Ishtar's worshippers in the land between the rivers would rise early on the day of the full moon of this season, after the equinox, the first full moon after the equinox, and they would greet the sunrise, probably about 9.30 in the morning. (laughs) They would greet the sunrise, and then their family would hunt eggs, Ishtar's eggs. They told the children these eggs came from the rabbit in the moon. Now, if you look at the moon, you can see a rabbit in there. We see a, a man's face in the moon. But in other cultures, there's a rabbit in the moon, and the rabbit is sacred to the goddess of the moon. So I am not telling you this information in order to say, oh, those silly Christians, look at how what a pagan thing they're doing. No. I'm saying the archetype of the death and resurrection of the divine and the death and resurrection of every single element of the earth is ingrained so deeply into the human psyche that you see it over and over again. And not only that, not only do we see it with the grain and the crops and the animals, you know, you, the, the animals die and they become food for the other animals who then uh, scatter that carbon material over the fields and then it becomes part of the grain which the other people eat and then it all becomes part of everything. So when you say everything is everything, well, really, if you think about the cycle of dying and rising and becoming part of everything, it's not that spiritual a thing to say. It's kind of scientific. It's pretty actual. We're all made up of the things that everything else is made up of. And so the dying and rising is a powerful cycle, a powerful metaphor And it happens in every single human's life. I hope maybe these babies that we saw this morning will be spared from it, but I don't think they will. In all of our lives, it happens that you go through periods, and it's not usually only one. You go through periods where it feels like every single thing you value is being stripped away from you. You lose a relationship, you lose your job, you lose your health, you lose abilities, you, you lose in so many ways and feel that you're maybe going through the gates of the underworld, having everything that matters to you taken. And then you feel attacked in the dark by someone who knows you well, accusing you and listing your faults and afflicting you with diseases and pain. In this room, there are heroes 
and sheroes among us. People who have done the descent. People who have hit bottom. And when you really hit bottom, you become less afraid of losing everything because you know that it doesn't always kill you. It's already happened. Maybe they've lost all their money, or maybe they've had their children taken from them, or maybe they've lost their sanity. Marianne Williamson, the great spiritual teacher, says that a nervous breakdown is a highly underrated way to achieve enlightenment. (laughs) This Easter story is a story of losing everything. You're sick in your body or your spirit, and hope seems absurd. Part of you has died. And suddenly someone sends a tiny thing down there to help. And does it help by cheerleading and saying, everything's going to be okay, don't worry, you can do it. No. It helps by moaning with the ones who are grieving. Moaning if... The dream interpreters that I studied with said everything in the dream is you. And normally I approach a Bible story or a sacred story uh, from any tradition as if it were a dream. And so if all of these elements are you, then this is your bitter and angry side that lives way down in the dark. And the fly comes down and moans with your bitter and angry side. And that helps. In my family, we have a, a rule that if you are venting about something, you tell the other person whether you want them to be reasonable or whether you want them to be on your side. (laughs) And sometimes you forget to ask and you get it wrong. But the fly was on her bitter and angry side. Yeah, rats. And somehow that comforts more than reasonableness sometimes. And then a little food and water is sprinkled on the dead meat and it begins to stir. You've been in the tomb and then you emerge. Is this just about grass and corn? Is it about the earth or is it about something more? You know the answer. There's a liberal Christian humor magazine called The Wittenberg Door. Very funny magazine. They just call it The Door now. Um, And they, uh, several years ago, offered a liberal Easter hymn. And the words say, um, Jesus Christ is risen today, alleluia. But in the title, they've crossed out Easter and written, Pretty Yellow Flower Day. (laughs) And in the verse, they cross out, is risen, and write, may or may not have risen. And I know that they were kind of mocking uh, people who talk about the earth on Easter. But since that's very important to me, and since I think that's really what it's about, us, as part of the earth, everything that dies will rise again, I wanted to write a sermon called, Your Mama's a Pretty Little Yellow Flower. How can they scorn a little yellow flower when it goes through the same things Ishtar did? 
the same things any dying and rising God does. It has to abandon its beauty, first losing its petals one by one, then its stem turning to slime, its seeds buried in the cold, cold ground for a time, the water there tormenting it until it bursts open, then struggling back to the surface, haunted by the sun, finding its way through the dark being tiny and vulnerable until it grows into beauty again. That's a rough journey. Our babies today went through a rough journey to get here. Long time in the dark, then struggle, 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 pain, danger, till they're born into the light. And we'll all lose our petals one by one and go back to the earth when our time has run pretty little yellow flower thing. Couldn't do better than that, really. As faith stories, these proclaim that the Divine One is willing to descend, to empty herself of her power and suffer with us, and that as she emerges, she conquers the power of death. The Christian faith story teaches the same thing the Divine One descending to death and emerging, conquering the power of death, showing us that there's a pathway from here to there, and the great round continues to be danced. All that dies shall be reborn. May it be so in your life and in mine. Please say the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. The lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee, nor leaves thy sight. And I am thine, I rest in thee. Great Spirit, come and rest in me. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.